Abby, can you hear me? Hi, Chris. Yeah, I can hear you just fine. Oh, that's great, Sarah. Sorry, I always how, have to do mix. mix how there. have you been? I've been doing very well. Very well indeed. I don't have much to talk to you about other than the film, really, but yeah, <laughs> I've been doing okay. And um, one, one thing, though, on the BBC, there's a series called His Dark Materials, based on the book His Dark Materials, and that's come back, so I'm happy about that. I got something I enjoy watching back in television, so. Ah, I've not seen Just... many things on the BBC for, like, years. I can't remember what the last thing I saw. I yeah. I don't know. There's there's not as much as there was. Um, there's definitely not as much now with the lockdown because they're not able to make series. Um, yeah. Have Strictly Come Dancing. If you watch Strictly Come Dancing, you must have watched. Strictly Come Dancing. I used to like Dancing on Ice. Is that? I don't know if that's BBC though. I think that's ITV. Uh, close enough. No, I was. I watched a bit of Strictly Come Dancing. I wasn't into it. They did this movie themed night, and it just gets ridiculous because there was one dance where. Um, the dancers dress up as Marge and Homer Simpson and dance to the Sim- Simpsons theme tune. Yeah. Okay, that is very strange. But at first, yeah, I thought were you were going to say. Hard, too hard. At first, I thought you were going to say they did a strictly come dancing movie, and I was like, "What? Like a narrative feature? Like what is that? It's like a step up movie, but ballroom?" I mean, ka-ching. I mean, if you could bring that idea to BBC, you might might make a bit of money people would probably watch that but oh gosh i wish it never left my lips now <laughs> I, say, I mean just because we can do something and even people like it doesn't mean we should yes just because we can doesn't mean we should which kind of uh relates slightly to our film i Is think that what you thought well i, mean, I think so yeah i ought to introduce a film now won't leave people just reading the description beneath this <laughs> podcast so the film is meets cut off which was directed by kelly reichardt and it's a modern take on the west american western genre of films and when i say modern very modern 2010 it was released and what it's about is a group of settlers making their way down the oregon trail or cut off from the oregon trail meets cut off led by a guide called Stephen Meek. So it's very interesting because I watched this film and I assumed all the characters were unique and novel, but when I've been doing a bit of research, I found that Stephen Meek is based on an actual person called Stephen Meek and Meek's cutoff is an actual trail. Yeah, yeah. Which I thought was very interesting. But here's the thing. Um, I think the I've read the actual story of Stephen Meek, the not the movie but the actual story, and it sounds even worse than it was in, in this film. You know, leading a group of like a thousand settlers. Oh, fifty of them ended up dying. So that's like, you know, five percent, fifteen died, because um, no one dies in this film. Sorry, oh shit, I spoiled it, haven't I? <laughs> well, it's only a small spoiler, I guess. But yeah, it's the only thing, a small the thing is with with um, I don't know why, but when we were talking about just because you can doesn't mean you should. Is with this, it is a little bit like, you know, they pack up all they have, all their belongings, and in these wagons, and they're trying to find a new settlement, uh, and it's sort of like, you know, I think some of them start to regret they even set off they just want to go home because um they 
they hired uh, Stephen Meek to guide them to this, you know, the new settlement. And he doesn't seem to know where he's going. And it's so economical, the opening of this film, because um, Kelly Reichardt, um, well, her and her cinematographer decided to have an aspect ratio, which was one one thirty three, which I think, which is a lot of the classic work. 40s. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. And, um, Arabia, though, where in the original letterbox format, it's like just a sliver of light across um, the television screen. Yeah, because, you know, it's in some ways you think, oh, that's an odd choice, having a Western with like a box kind of aspect ratio. But then with the type of Western this is, um, and we'll get more into it later, it's very appropriate, I think, but it's all in color and everything. Like, Gorgeous blues, yellows, browns, greens. It's really nice. But what got me with the storytelling at the beginning um, is that uh, Kelly Reichardt, she has her characters um, crossing a river. And um, the women, there's three women, um, they all get into the river. And the water's all the way up, almost up to their armpits. And they're carrying like baskets and and all that kind of thing across the river, just very silently and quietly and carefully. And the guys are leading, because um, there's um, four men, that's including Stephen Meek, and there's a young boy, the one of the sons of one of the couples, and they're leading horses and things and that across the river. And then they're also, like, washing dishes and that kind of thing in the river. And then um, it just one of the guys he's found like a dead tree trunk on its side and he just writes into the bark lost. And that tells you everything of, you know, well, not totally everything, but what the situation is, what the uh, conflict is, you know? See, that's very interesting because rather than having a discussion where you have two people having an argument saying, we're lost, blah, 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 why you guys lost? I think the director chose to present it in this way to really convey more, more accurate sense of how the characters were feeling. So rather than having a feeling of anger and aggression that they were lost, um, it was more of a sense of confusion and a little bit of hopelessness. And melancholy, because like, melancholy, yeah, yeah, like you were saying. I won't say I don't mean to say hopelessness. That that's true, but or despair, maybe melancholy. Yeah, but like you were saying, it doesn't just tell us what the situation is, but in a quiet sort of way and how they feel about it. It also tells us what their relationship is to each other because as the film goes on, well, especially near the beginning, it's quite a muted but respectful and polite sort of relationship they all have with each other. It wouldn't really be in character, especially that early in the film, for them to start arguing and accusing each other because they're not quite there yet. So, um, yeah, I thought that was good. Yeah, I think the characters seem very authentic to me. I think in a lot of these American westerns, the characters always feel larger than life and not quite John Wayne, that kind of thing. Yeah, whereas here, the characters are very much authentic. Even the character of Stephen Meek, you could he was vain, a bit of a bullshitter, and he wasn't large in life. He was life. So that aspect of it, I thought, was very good. I think the characters were good. I thought that the 
presentation of its scenery, the diorama was very complete. I, I really like the atmosphere of the film. Yeah. But then there were other aspects of the film that I think were lacking. Yeah, because um, just to start us off uh, with like more details about the characters, like um, you have a really good ensemble cast. I'd say uh, Michelle Williams as Emily is our protagonist, I'd say, because we seem to be uh, in touch more with how she feels than anybody else. Like the camera lingers on her face um a lot more than the others and kind of the things she wants to talk about and also like she's on the poster and everything so oh and this is her second collaboration with kelly reichardt two years before she did a film uh called wendy and lucy which is also meant to be really good um but yeah so you have michelle williams's character who's uh there with her husband they have one wagon um and then there's um paul dano and uh, zoe kazan who are a real life couple and they have their wagon and then there's um shirley henderson and i want to say neil huff and their son and they have one wagon and then Stephen meek he's just got his horse and that's how they're going um on this trail you know this wagon um wagon chain what do you call it a wagon chain chain of wagons kind of thing yeah yeah and Uh, yeah and what's interesting is that um all the women they walk alongside their husbands like they're not made to just sit in the wagon while the husbands walk along with the cattle and the donkeys and the horses and that kind of thing the women walk alongside the wagon and i found that interesting because they're not particularly doing anything by by walking out in the sun um, alongside. But, you know, it, do you know what I mean by that? Like, I, I noticed that and thought, oh, it's interesting they're walking side by side. It's more of like... Yeah, I think as well it helps with the presentation of the film because if they're inside the wagons, um, it probably wouldn't have worked as well with character interaction. You saw... I th- you saw see this in war films as well, where none of the main characters wear helmets. They see like the faces properly, even though there's a choice to wear helmets. That's something that's been pointed out to me before. So that was probably a form of artistic license. But the characters, um, like I said, Michelle Williams was a very important character, and I think her character ended up having more depth than the others. I think um, the other the other women in the film. We're sort of just like damsel and distress type characters, you know. I mean, you didn't really get much depth from them, but Michelle Williams had was allowed a certain amount of depth with her character. Um, I, I noticed as well that Paul Dano was featured in the film, and I felt his talents were somewhat wasted in this one because when I watched the BBC's take on War and Peace, where he played the main character, he was a very good actor. But you just don't really see that that, that potential from. Yeah, it's interesting because Paul Dano, especially if you've like seen him in There Will Be Blood, he can be really, really big, like scenery chewing kind of actor. But he can also do um, very sedate. Uh, I think it worked here in terms of uh, his role in the film. But it is interesting because Paul. Dano, because um, There Will Be Blood was came out in 2007, so by 2010 we knew what he could do. It is... Um... Have you seen There Will Be Blood? Have I seen what now? There Will Be 
There'll be blood. Yeah, I love, I love There'll Be Blood. I mean, could you draw a comparison between this film and that film? Yeah, because, yeah, I could, because um, they're both in the 19th century, I want to say. Actually, There'll Be Blood might be the turn of the century, so just going from 19th to the 20th century, um, whilst whilst this is mid-19th century. But, um, you know, at one point, the main thing that these uh, characters are needing uh they want to find a new settlement but what they need their immediate need is to find water and there's a great bit where the young boy comes across a nugget of gold (laughs) and um that kind of reminded me of you know like the california gold russian kind of thing which was a bit a few years after this i think and um everyone's sort of in awe of it um but one of the characters says, you can't drink gold. So even though it's, oh, it's great, we found some gold, it's like, but we're thirsty. <laughs> so. Yeah, it probably reflects the sentiments of many people at the time. I imagine there were people going along the Oregon Trail and they camped for gold and they encountered opportunities for making money, but they weren't able to capitalise on that because they were nowhere, they were in the middle of nowhere, there was no civilization there. So if they found anything like that, they just had to carry on going. <laughs> So it, uh, what, what, yeah, it's a very interesting observation, and it all brings into question as well their their motivation for trying to get to where they they are. As well. Yeah, I mean, we didn't we don't get a lot of background as to why uh, these particular people are here, like. We don't get any indication if their lives were, uh, like, you don't get any indication what class they are. Um, well, you sort of do because of their belongings and the clothes they wear and that kind of thing. But say, say if we knew that they were poor where they used to live and they were getting poorer, you'd understand the motivation to up sticks and go on this um journey which could it's 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 a bit of the unknown they don't know for sure that their lives will be better somewhere else but um it it would have been interesting even though we can kind of put it together put two and two together ourselves but it would have been interesting if we got a little bit of background of who they were back home so that we knew why they were here now yeah i don't think the film would have been weaker if more of a backstory to be introduced. In fact, it's the kind of film where it would really benefit from a backstory and some explanation of the characters' motivations. And all the only motivation we got for the characters is that oh, when you get to Oregon, then you will all be rich. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm not. I think they were going to Oregon, but or, or somewhere in Oregon. I mean, it's not. It's not made entirely clear. Actually, I think for this film it would benefit, or at least it wouldn't be weakened by a bit more detail and a bit more explanation. Yeah, and, you know, I I, I really like being dropped in when they're, they're already a little bit cynical and worried and everything like that. Like, if, if we start at the very beginning of their journey where it's all optimism and, you know, music of sort of adventure like Huckleberry Finn and then we reach this point um you know 
that would have been fine, but I kind of liked as like a change to just be dropped in where they appear to be at the lowest of the low. Yeah, yeah I think that was what the director was, was going for. Yeah. Actually, so, yeah, I think I, I didn't want it to be like a, some of these American Western films where, like you said, it just has a, begin, a beginning Mid- story, yeah. end, and then in the beginning everything's hunky-dory, and then bad things happen, but then in the end the hero wins. It, it, it doesn't... Yeah, it, 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 it perhaps it wouldn't have been a good idea for it to be like... Yeah, because with this film, with having it, you know, where they're melancholy and they're worried and that concerned and they're thirsty and everything, it's interesting that we don't waste any any time getting to that point so that when they spot uh, a Native American man who appears to be watching them, even following them, and... Um, they he the, the Native American man he is captured by Stephen Meek and Michelle Williams his character's husband and they they're not sure what to do once they've got him because Stephen Meek who apparently has a very colourful history of dealing with as he put it as he puts it these Indians and all the different uh, clans and how they're just savages and heathens, all this kind of thing. He's saying, right, we should just kill him now because, um, you know, all is, we've got to send a message to his people. That's what Stephen Meek keeps saying. We've got to send a message that uh, we're tough, we can defend ourselves, that kind of thing. But because our characters um, aren't quite sure about Meek anymore, they, they don't really trust him, um, they don't think he really knows what he's talking about what he's doing they decide they vote to to not harm the native american man and they think that um he can lead them to water because someone points out that he's healthy he doesn't ap- appear thirsty um he's not he didn't have any belongings on him which which would indicate that he's not far from home you know i think it was a necessary plot point it was necessary i should say necessary for the film to give it at least a bit of plot by introducing the indian character and it creates interest and suspense because thinking will he lead them to water will he lead them to water so that was necessary for the film because although there isn't a great deal of plot to this film although not there isn't a great deal that happens in this film i i really like the atmosphere really like the scenery. I, but the thing is, I have my own bias because I like the, that era. I'm interested in that era. And so I found that, you know, nothing really happened for like the first 20, 30 minutes. I was sort of immersed in the film and I found it very watchable. The problem is, is that it can be a bit like Marmite. You either love it or you hate it. And there was probably people who watched this film who aren't really immersed into the scenery and the, and the environment and atmosphere of the film, you'll be watching it and it won't be comfy for them, it'll just be boring. So I think in, there is a either you, you either love it or you hate it aspect. Yeah, westerns can be a turn-off um, for people. Uh, I, I used to think westerns weren't my thing, but I've got a few favourites now, like the original 310 to Yuma, uh, Winchester 73, 
Um, I'm currently watching, I'm currently halfway through Once Upon a Time in the West, and I think um, Stephen Meek, um, his character's costume is kind of ripped off Charles Bronson in Once Upon a Time in the West. <laughs> but yeah, I think this is an accessible Western because it's um, it's not trying to make you buy into the genre. It's It's just sort of, it's... You know, it's a very it's a low budget western. Um, you're it's very character driven. Um, and what's interesting is, you know, sometimes it's hard watching old westerns like The Searchers because they are very racist, you know, and you, a bit dated because of the racism. But with this film, you know, I think partly because it's from 2010 and 2010 had a different uh, look on things being a modern western but um i think the way they want to approach racism um in the context of right we know we're shooting this in 2010 but we appreciate this is this is set in 1845 like it doesn't put it doesn't put stupid things in the white characters mouths of just things they wouldn't think you know what i mean like um that, that something has to be said about historical accuracy um even if it is uh racist you can't pretend it wasn't there you can't pretend the racism didn't exist because that's not historically accurate and you know you don't want um to encourage racism not at all but by denying that racism existed is also uh, a bad thing so in this film it's you know, it's racist the way Stephen Meek is talking about them all being the same and all being different to the white man and all being that. That is racist. But what's interesting about the other white characters is that they aren't necessarily uh, outspoken about racism like Stephen Meek is. They don't talk about it amongst themselves but the way they're afraid of this man who can't speak the same language of them who doesn't look like them is really interesting because some of them are more afraid than others um and some of them are just curious or are frustrated that they can't communicate so michelle williams's character she um she tries to sort of get through to him to communicate with him and at one point she mends his shoe he wears like slippers and um, she sews um them together and when another character zoe kazan i think comes over to him and says what are you doing why are you you know sewing up his shoe um she says something interesting which is because i want him to owe me something and like a transaction I mean, and so she didn't necessarily do it from kindness, but I um. I think it's uh, I think that relationship between the characters and the Indian sort of isn't. I'm not sure if there's any intention with it, I, but what it leaves me with is the impression that, regardless of where you are in history. There are people who are able to think rationally and able to think, well, if we're kind to the Indian, he knows this land better than we do. He'll be able to help us survive. And then there are other people who are 
bigoted and don't see the you just allow that bigotry to overtake their rational thought and so they get angry at somebody because they're a different race and attack them so you see those two sides of humanity there in the film um the only thing is is that i felt that when it's interesting because stephen meek is vain he's bombastic he's sort of almost portrayed as a fool who's led these settlers out into the middle of nowhere they're obviously lost but he refuses to admit that they're lost and he's he's comes across as a fool really he's trying trying too hard to um cover up his own mistakes so it's that character Stephen Meek which is the one who's bigoted towards the Indians so that's that, that's interesting there's an association between um foolishness and bigotry which is being made here yeah because you know what's interesting that there is um a bit thrown in where as they go along their way, now being led by uh, the Native American guy, he makes markings on the stone they passed of, you know, the cliffs and that kind of, the hills and that kind of thing. And um, Paul Dano and Zoe Kazan, they start being more uh, fearful of him and leaning towards what Stephen Meek has been telling them because they kind of think well, we can say that he is leaving messages for people to track us. But um, I believe his name's Solomon. That's um, um, Emily, Michelle Williams' character's husband. He says it could also be religion, you know. It could be him, his way of, you know, God is leading his path and he could be leaving messages to say, to communicate with God. It could be religion, you know, or whoever is his sort of, religion you know if it's not god then some other entity so when you hear those two explanations you as an audience member you're kind of like yeah both are kind of viable both could be true but which one is true because one will get you killed if you don't um sort of be wary of it but the other one you'll think god you'll be killing him and unnecessarily because he was just practicing religion and he's still he he was still leading you to water so it's sort of damned if you do damned if you don't and that's what's so interesting about the tension in this film is because it's just so hard to predict which one is it going to be um exactly sorry to interrupt i think that's a very good device because it allows the tension to be sustained and thus your engagement with the film because let's say if the Indian very early on you kind of realised he was a trust unquestionably trustworthy and that he was going to lead them to water because obviously he would want to go to water. What would happen is, is that after um, a few a few scenes he, all the tension would disappear because you just think well he's going to the Indian's going to try his best to lead them to water and they're going to be fine or if they do perish then. They, they perish. Whereas here, because the seeds of doubt are being sown, the seeds of mistrust are being sown, that it's a device to keep up the tension. I think that was... I think that's very... I feel... I'm um, sorry, Chris, um, go on. Uh, uh, no, actually, I'll, I'll make this point a bit later. 
um, I want to. Oh, okay. I was gonna say I feel like bringing up Pocahontas again (laughs) for the the, like fourth time this um last um three or four episodes we've done. So, um, the thing is with tension, um, we could have had uh the Native Americans. Um, so the tribe that this man comes from, they could, you know, we could see what's going on with them and we could see that, oh, they are following the messages and the tension could be um, sort of, oh, when they're going to strike or it could be like in Pocahontas, the Disney film, <laughs> that the tension is miscommunication, like, you know, not understanding um you know, what the other party wants and if they're trying to kill him and all that kind of thing. But the great... Just ask a talking tree. And a talking tree. But the great tension that, you know, <laughs> not a lot of people use, and I don't know why, is the unknown. That, um, and I think human beings fear the unknown in our daily lives. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen. You probably fear the unknown more than things. Yeah, the unknown is a very powerful... Um, thing and I'm glad that um, Kelly Reichardt uses that because um, even towards the end of the film which we'll get into spoiler territory um, I'm sure very soon even at the end of the film she leaves it ambiguous like I personally saw it as quite a hopeful ending but there's still something there where you think but are but are we going to end up are they going to reach water because it's still very uh, uncertain I mean I think you only see those sorts of endings in mainstream cinema where setting the audience up for a sequel that's the thing um, I mean, and this sort of allows me to draw a general conclusion of the film I think the atmosphere the scenery was spot on I think it's very watchable for that reason especially if you're interested in the you know the American 19th century story of the Wild West. So the atmosphere is spot on. And I like the characters. There's, they were real, they're down to earth. Unlike in other American westerns, they were larger than life, almost you know, mythical. And I also think that there are lots of good devices used in the film. So you mentioned about introducing the Indian character and how there was always questions being asked about whether he can be trusted or not trusted. And the tension was maintained in that way but there's also a scene as well where they're uh, feeding the um, wagons down the steep hill and then you're thinking are they gonna is something gonna happen they're gonna and is a rope gonna snap and it's gonna end up tumbling down the hill and like destroying itself and so there were good devices but i think where the film was lacking is is in plot and i know that might be a deliberate decision by the director to be thin on the plot but I think maybe there should have been an ending to the film, at least, rather than leaving it open-ended. And I think with the beginning, actually, yeah, putting, putting them in this, that situation, in a lost situation right from the beginning, had, had merit to it. So, okay, I'll, I'll go lost. But then afterwards, there's no explanation about the character's background, and they could have done that. But the ending, I think they could have thought of a different ending. And I know it's actually probably meant there to be an open ending, where you where it allows your imagination to run free about how it could have ended, but I think... I, think I, I don't disagree with you, because I 
certainly felt that way the first time I saw this film, which was about, I don't know, nine months ago or something. But the second time for this episode, I was, you know, because I anticipated the ending, I was a lot less dissatisfied with it because I thought, you know, especially with the real life context of the film, that a number of uh, wagon chains made this journey along the Oregon Trail and a lot of people died and a lot of thirst, you know, and that kind of thing. Um, I think it is interesting, her the way she had it open-ended, because it is kind of like um, they had every chance to survive, they had every chance not to survive under the circumstances they're in. I mean, the, the ending is hopeful because of the tree, isn't it? Like... The young boy says to his mother, trees can't grow without water. Um, And we've not seen it rain. So it's like, you know, is it underground? And um, does that mean there's like a a lake or something or the the coastline somewhere somewhere soon, you know, somewhere near? Um, Because you know what you were saying about um, uh, the wagons, trying to get the wagons down the steep hill? I thought it was a very good climax because the thing is, they reach a point of no return in a lot of ways at that point. They've come, um, right in front of them is a huge hill and they, but but there's a dip right before. There's a dip and then there's the huge um, bank, the hill, you know. And um, the man, the, the Native American, he starts saying these things and, Michelle Williams tells the rest of the group that she believes what he is saying is that if they manage to get round this, there there will be water on the other side. That's what he's trying to tell them. So, you know, and I think Kelly Reichardt does a good job doing a lot of jump cuts. So she kind of cuts out the waffle. <laughs> She's quite um, economical in that way. So there could have been a discussion of, oh, do we actually want to do this or do that? But it seems in the next shot, when they've attached the wagons um, with the ropes and they're uh, easing them down the, the, the bank, that, you know, she's got her way. Michelle Williams has convinced them that, yes, we should keep trusting the man and we should get the wagons down there. And, and it's so interesting because, you know, she's a woman in the 19th century and as we see at different points in the, the film, the women aren't really, um, they're not part of decision-making. They're not really considered in things like votes and that kind of thing, um, which is very of the time. But Michelle Williams has got this ability to convince them of different things. Um, so, yeah, so when they're trying to get the wagons down, you know, the first one goes down okay, the second one goes down okay, but the third one doesn't. And just seeing it flip over and the water, just the water tank they've been carrying with them, just, you know, um, opening and splashing out everywhere. It's just so like, oh, no. I was going to say, I made it when I was making notes on the film, unfortunately, I made a note about that particular scene where you see the water spilling out. You really feel it. Um, it's that That's why the film is so good about immersing you with the characters because there are some films I'd watch and something tragic would happen like that and I wouldn't feel anything but because um, I did care about the characters and about the journey when I felt when that water spilled out onto the ground you know it like it got me you know? yeah I think you really care about the characters because 
Um, they're not really. There's not really anything really bad about them. They're not portrayed as villains. Not that's what I'm trying to say. Not none of them are really portrayed as villains. It it suggests that some people might be weaker than others, or too ignorant, or sort of. Um, you know, they might be bad, but we really don't know. Like Stephen Meek, um, I think someone says at one point, I don't know if he's ignorant or if he's just plain evil. Like this is all just a game for him kind of thing is what is implied. But, you know, even Stephen Meek, I didn't feel any resentment towards him or anything. So I wanted him to reach a new, I wanted him to reach water just as much as any, all the other people, you know? Yeah, especially at the end. Um, the thing is, though, I think you'd have to be a bad director to create characters that people don't care about. I mean, it's not very often where I watch a film and I'm not concerned about the fate of the characters. Um, I'm trying to recall some previous examples. Of definitely, but there have definitely been films where a character dies and because you never, because the film was bad and you never cared about Batman versus Superman. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, when Superman dies, I laughed and everyone looked at me in the cinema like I was awful or something. (laughs) Yeah, I think um, think in the latest Star Wars one as well, I think you don't even remember, but you're like, (laughs) I I might have to, um, I might actually go have to to watch um, Superman versus Batman. Batman versus Superman, I don't know which order, just to like watch it ironically, because I knew it would be bad. Like just the premise. Of oh that. yeah, I you were with me in the cinema for Rise of Skywalker, weren't you? Yeah, that was laughable. Yeah. Some of the deaths in that—that that was pretty laughable. Yeah. Yeah. But. Um, and what I was going to say, but yeah, I think it's usually films where you don't care about the characters. The films you you don't discuss after you watch them ever. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't know how many Kelly Reichardt you've seen. I've seen. Night Moves, which was her film from... Yeah. I am seeing Kelly Wright. Yeah, I've only seen two. So I've seen Night Moves, which she did, which was released in 2013, and I've seen this. And I don't know if it's with all her films, but Night Moves also has an open ending, which can be kind of... It can be dissatisfying, but I think... You know, especially after watching Meeks cut off the second time, I have more of an understanding of what she's interested in, and um, I care less about what I'm interested in if I know what she's interested in. So I really want to see um, Old Joy and Wendy and Lucy, and she's just released one this year called First Cow, and that's going to be really good. So. Um, yeah, and she, she does a lot of films around Oregon. I, I don't know if she actually is from Oregon. She might be, but, yeah. Um, one final point I'd like to make is that I think, like, there are many good devices in the film. I like the idea of having find the Indian when the lone water and then having them try to lead him to water where they can't communicate with him and there's all this issue about trust. That was a really good device. And I think a story, a film about the Oregon Trail has a lot of potential. The only thing is, is that I think that what made this, makes this film strong is that the premise of it is a good premise. But I think there was a lot of potential wasted, really. I think it could have been a much stronger yeah. film 
and I think he would have had much wider acclaim had the director just t- taken a more orthodox approach. It didn't have to be an avant-garde independent film, you know, done in the style of an avant-garde independent film. I think um, the director would have been better going with a more orthodox approach than having a clear beginning plot and then ending and I think it would have had a wider audience and it wouldn't have been disadvantaged from having those elements in. Um, uh, I think this I film think. is still quite highly regarded though. Like um when it was when it was um coming to the award at the end of twenty nineteen, uh, there were tons of um film critic lists that went out and this Meek's cutoff was on quite a few lists for best of the decade. I think the market is ripe for a film about the Oregon Trail, which is more orthodox with a beginning, middle, end, and uh, things like humour in as well, because there wasn't very much humour in this film, very serious. But I think if they had a film like uh, about the Oregon Trail with put elements of humour into it as well, even if it's sort of um, black humour or, um, I mean, like a dark comedy type humour or gallows humour, I think that. Um, would I, very well with this I genre. thought some of Michelle well. Williams's react um interactions with Stephen Meek were quite amusing. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, um, there's a bit where yeah. um she is just sort of grunting um to every in response to everything he says, and then he says to her, um, "You don't really like me, do you?" And she says, "I don't really think of you one way or the other." And he just says, "That is." And basically another way of saying that you don't like me. And then um, he, he keeps going on and on and on and on about all these different things because he's got an opinion on everything. And um, he says to her, because she's just trying to do her knitting or her sewing. And um, he just says to her, you know what I think the difference is between men and women? And she goes, I don't know, but I don't doubt you won't tell me or something like that. And she's just not, she, she really hasn't got... Um, a sort of she's not enchanted by him or intimidated him by him or nothing whilst the other characters um a lot of the women bow their heads to Stephen Meek some of the men do as well and when the men talk to Stephen Meek they all kind of um they don't challenge him on anything not directly he Meek overhears them talking about him but no one no, no one will really talk to him head on but um, Michelle Williams's character will, and um, I think that's where some of the humour came from, for me at least. Yeah, yeah, I think there were elements of humour as you mentioned, but they weren't, they weren't strong, and I think that they could, there could be more elements of humour in it, but it's tricky because you don't want to spoil the tension and the melancholy feel by yeah. having those elements in there i'm just i've been looking up um, other films about the oregon trail and i mean it's quite interesting because there was a film the oregon trail 1936 film um starring john wayne but it's a lot oh really oh remaining so so there was going to be a john wayne film about the oregon trail but alas um, it never happened which i think is a shame and i'm surprised there isn't Surprise of all the American westerns that came out in the 20th century, well, they would come out in the 20th century, um, that there's, this topic's not really touched. There's the Oregon Trail 1959 film, um, 
and that's but it says in the midst of the Oregon boundary dispute the president James K Fox is secretly sending military agents yeah it, it, it's it's mm. a bit too far-fetched right so I think like I said before I think there's I think there's definitely um, an opening in the market for new American weapons that are based around yeah, I mean, design. kind of on that note, but, I wanted to mention just before we go that I thought I thought a, a good companion piece for this film would be a film from 1971 called Walkabout, um, directed by Nick Rogue. Have you um, seen that, Chris? No, I haven't. I mean, when it comes to film and cinema, I'm living in a history yeah. of chaos and confusion. Even well, I, I think in a lot of ways it'd be a great companion <laughs> piece because in that film, uh, basically a walkabout is kind of, it's what uh, Aborigine boys um, have to do something called a walkabout when they turn a certain age, which is they go out into the Australian outback and they have to survive for some uh, so 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 long a time before they can return home and if i've got any of that incorrect uh please excuse me it was a few years ago when i watched this so anyway but um an english uh brother and sister they end up stranded in the outback and i'm not going to spoil how because it's such a shock of a beginning of a movie that i you know one of the big one of the best most interesting beginnings i've ever seen but anyway so they ended up stranded in the outback and they travel with this um boys he seems like a you know late teens i'd say and um, they can't communicate at all but interestingly the young the youngest um sibling he's about eight ten something like that he he's just very good at communicating with him just with his hands and that kind of thing, because there's a bit in the film where he wants, um, he's tr- he's trying to say to him, "We're looking for water. We're thirsty and everything like that," and he just keeps putting his um, hands up to his mouth and kind of mimicking drinking water. And eventually, they understand each other and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, if you've seen Walkabout, then please watch Meek's Cut Off. And if you've seen Meek's Cut Off, then please watch Walkabout because I think they do go together. That's a very good re- recommendation. Thank you, Gabby. And I think that draws us to the end. I'm not going to give it a number. I mean, yeah, I've done that before. <laughs> it's just not really a point to it. So you're not getting well, a rating out of I'll give it an 8 out of 10, just episode, so. um, because yeah. I feel like it's a very solid film, personally. I mean, you might be given 8 out of 10 because it's been given 8 out of 10 by other outlets. So... You know, no, 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 yeah. eight out of ten. I think that that's a, a good number. I mean, you think about these numbers about eight out of ten. Is that I don't think I ever give a film less than a five. <laughs> I'm a bit too generous for that, but I wouldn't yeah. watch it. I mean, um, I think it was a good pick, Chris. Um, I liked returning to it. It's, um, you know, okay, oh, yeah, yes, you were. I suggested it. Um, oh, oh, thank you, Gabby. Yes, yeah, I'm very good at picking films, aren't I? So, <laughs> aren't I very brilliant? Anyway, um, I, I, I didn't want to end it just here because I want to know what's Nothing. going on in the world of cinema because... <laughs> nothing! Oh, well, that answers my question. I mean, is there, is there nothing at all, like maybe a cartoon? 
thing is, you can't do that. So, okay, there is stuff uh, There is stuff dropping on streaming uh, services. Like, I can't wait for David Fincher's new film to come out on Netflix. That's going to be called Mank, which is about the screenwriter of Citizen Kane, um, played by um, Gary Oldman. Now, I think it's a screenwriter of Citizen Kane. It's something to do with Stephen Cave, but oh, okay. um, yeah, and um, early reviews about that have come, you know, been pretty glowing. So I can't wait for that to drop on Netflix. Um, there've been a few indie things that have dropped on Amazon Prime. I don't think anything uh, big really has dropped on Amazon Prime. That really, that's really. Um, what's What's really piqued my interest? No, no, I'm saying nothing that's really piqued your interest regarding those independent. Well, it's just the thing is, is that um, you know, if you're a person who follows the releases of films in previous years, you know, pre-COVID, um, how the how the year kind of um, went is that things would uh, debut at the Sundance Film Festival, usually. Um, independent films that were good but didn't have really much of a chance of an oscar campaign because you know that costs money um but but really good stuff you know getting submitted into sundance that would happen in january in february you'd have the oscars which is celebrating all the stuff from the previous year then we go along the year in may you'd have the Cannes film festival where you'd have a mixture of the kind of stuff you'd see at sundance but also stuff that would get an Oscar campaign and also a lot of foreign films. And then you'd get to September, October, November, and you'd have Telluride, Toronto, Venice, and there'd be all the Oscar campaign stuff and things would be coming out in the cinema. Oh, I forgot. You'd have all your blockbusters like your Marvels, your Star Wars, uh, your Fast and the Furious, your John Wick, all that kind of thing in the summer. And then in Christmas, You'd have uh, maybe some more Star Wars um, and you'd have a few Christmas-themed films, um, but also a lot of people would be catching up on more of the uh, awards fair. I haven't heard you mention Trolls. Trolls what? The Trolls film. Trolls World Tour and that kind of Um, thing. Yeah. I don't know where that falls. I think that 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 falls in school I think, I think school holidays and half term. Yeah. Um. Oh, that okay, reminds yeah. me. Um. The latest Pixar is coming out <laughs> on Disney Plus. I think Christmas Day. I'm gonna say. Um. So Disney is you know is is happy to put their big releases on streaming oh, yeah. services. Um. But no. So so that's the thing. Like I haven't got much to say about what's actually coming out in the cinema that you can see today at your local Odeon and View, which only open at the weekends these days. I think our local Odeon. Yeah, probably. But but no, because, you know, it's so... (laughs) Tenet basically bombed when it came out. Um, a A lot of people went to see it. Not enough people went to see it. So now it's a bit of a tense relationship between Warner Brothers and Chris Nolan Chris Nolan because because Chris Nolan was like get it out get it out get it out and then Warner Brothers didn't get the money they wanted to get back on it so now a lot of people have been pushing back their big releases like Wonder Woman's meant to come out 
in December, probably won't. Um, a lot of films that were meant to come out this year, they've all been pushed to oh, no. next year because it's such a gamble releasing anything in cinema, you know? Yeah, I mean, think about Tenet, though, is... Would it have succeeded? That's the thing. Was it? Did it fail because of the circumstances, or would it have not really succeeded? That's anyway? interesting because you know I mean? a lot of people have brought that up on some of the podcasts I listen to. Like, would it have actually made the mega bucks they wanted to if they released it in a non-COVID parallel universe? Because it is not that accessible. I mean, it's not a Batman film. Uh, it's, you know, got crazy time travel. and Yeah, it doesn't have lightsabers. Yeah, it? so it is interesting. We'll never know, obviously, but it is interesting. It's like... I think if we had to ask the question, pro- probably not, really. If it was an amazing film, I think people would have talked to each other. They would say, listen, right, you know, you can't go out anywhere. So why don't you watch this great film? And that no, I mean, didn't really happen. So I'm going to go. I'm going to err on the side of it was disadvantaged by the COVID nineteen situation, but I'm not sure if it would have been considered more than an average film. Unfortunately, that's just the way it is. But here's the thing, right? We're measuring the success of a film by how much money it makes in the cinemas, and I think that is a very capitalist I think it's very dated personally you know um a lot of films that we perceive to be classics today say like the thing didn't make the money that they were meant to back when they were first released and were considered a flop or you know unsuccessful whatever but they're now considered classics so I think you know box office is very dated but at the end of the day, you know, the you know it's one big cycle. Um, they need a lot of cash to make the movie, and then they need the cash back to make another one, to pay their actors, to pay their crews. So, it it yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, people can't survive off intellectual. Yeah, art's not free, basically. <laughs> money. <laughs> I mean that that that's what uh, people survive on is money, not um, intellectual advancement direct. So, I mean that that's probably what's driving these endless supply of superhero films. That I don't ever. It's it's not ending, is it? Are they going to start making superhero films? Well, just for a little bit. I mean, I don't have any superhero films. They're just making too many of them. And I think they would benefit. It's like with World War Two films, like a few, like a few years back. You know, it'd be better if they took a break and then revisited it. It's like with um, Star Trek as well. The Star Trek series just kept making series, series, series after another, and it just had to stop in the end because he. I think it was even in the words of one of the um, directors in the Star War of um, Star Trek. Yeah, I mean, all good things have to come to an end. I mean, like I, you know, I, 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 um, I feel bad for how it's suffering the film industry right now. I do, but you know, but 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 the thing is, is that it was what. But you didn't like anyway, did you? No, no. What I'm saying though, Chris, is that you know, obviously, I wanted 
you know, obviously I want people to stay in jobs and that kind of thing. But the thing is that because it was such an industry that, how do I put this? You know how the Premier League and that kind of thing um, is, is too much money in it. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I just think that there are certain industries before COVID that had too much money in them. When, when you talk about football players who will go for like 4 million or whatever, and I could be wild, widely out by the way, but, but, <laughs> but the thing is, I always kind of thought there's just, there's just so much money in it. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. I just feel like whatever happens, you know, maybe things had to change. Um, if not COVID that came along, but something because, it's just so much money in these industries. So question. much money. Absolutely. These superhero films were being made because because they make money easily. Um, CGI is cheap now. CGI is probably cheaper than building sets now. So you can just churn out these superhero films with special effects. And they're not awe-inspiring, not brilliant. It's just flashing lights and things. And they can churn out these superhero films. And, you know, people go out and see them. And they make, and they make money. But, and it's entertainment, but um, for fans of cinema who really need some some more creativity and looking for something more profound, then yeah, this this market of where superhero films being churned out, churned out, churned out, and all the resources being pushed towards them, it's it's not good for um, avid cinema fans. And I'm not saying that because I'm a snob or I'm trying to look like a very smart intellectual person i think people can appreciate that when you've got marvel film after marvel film after marvel film and it dominates the market and everybody's trying to get into it if you don't like marvel films then i it's not a good time for you and and i think it may even be like a bubble it might be the case where they make this really expensive high budget marvel film and it just massively flops and loses money and then like the bubble bursts I'd just like to say that what I'm trying to say about this topic is that it'll be just interesting to see what they can do with less, with less money. I think a change is as good as a break as well. Um, I think, like saying, you know, salvation and damnation are the same thing. People thinking this is the damnation of the film industry, but it might, in some respects, it might be its salvation because we might start seeing lower budgets and with lower budgets you've got to rely more on plot and unique ideas and we might possibly start seeing that injected in there because like saying pre-covid i think this is what you're saying that we weren't seeing much in the way of new ideas or new plot um some of these superior films the science fiction ones sometimes had good devices and good ideas in them like doctor who episodes do but the the, the plot yeah because i also think it was a very crowded um you know just the just the way i describe the year the calendar year it's just so crowded with um and sometimes that's good because a lot of people have opportunity a lot of filmmakers have opportunities to get their stuff out there but also it's 
bad because there is way too much out there for the consumer. And then if there's too much out there for the consumer, the consumer can't see everything. The, con- the consumer can't afford to see everything. Well, no, 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 I'm not. <laughs> I mean, communism say that. I mean, the thing is, if it was up to you, the film industry would all be um, nationalised. Uh, no, you're putting words in my mouth. You're putting words in my mouth. You get three films a year. You get... I'm just saying okay, that okay. it'll be interesting to see how, let's just say, the 20s go, you know, from 2020 to 2029. Just how it'll be different previous decades. That'll be pretty, pretty darn interesting, I think. Things you don't even need films anymore because you just turn on the news and you're thinking, "What well, yeah. is happening?" <laughs> I think anything that's on the news is more more shocking, surprising, and fantastic. Well, yeah, certainly at the moment. But we... basically, so the world cinema is competing with COVID nineteen, um, the American election. Um, and I, I know what you mean, but we better you know wrap what, it up, you know Chrissy, because we've gone over an hour. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes, that's right. Sure, we've hour. just gone over wow. an hour. So we You're are going to let our um, listeners rest their ears from our waffle, and we'll be back later this month with our next episode. Oh, brilliant. 